Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. We are No Wristbands. We drink for free. This week, we are joined by Kip Berman, an indie rock lifer out of Princeton, New Jersey, who was formerly the lead singer, guitarist, and songwriter for the indie band The Pains of Being a Pure at Heart. I'd be lying if I said this wasn't a big one to me. Pains has been one of my favorite bands for the past decade or so, and I'm still pinching myself that he was willing to sit down and talk to us about his time in Pains as well as his new musical venture, The Natural. The Natural is a throwback indie band that isn't trying to put on airs. They're just trying to write well-crafted rock songs. I continue to feel like their debut album, Tethers, gives off Bob Dylan Highway 61 revisited vibes with its strong vocals, jangly guitar, and killer organ. It's a departure from his work in pains, but in the best way possible. Please sit back, relax, and give us a listen as we talk about Kip's journey from founding pains to gearing up to go on tour in support of, that, of Tethers. Also, if you're the kind of person who has strong opinions about sports uniforms, Kip's your kind of guy. The Natural will be opening for Annie Hart at the Empty Bottle on December 6th, and we hope to see you there. As always, please give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at No Wristbands. Uh, my name is Mark. I'm here with Papa, as always, and we are here today interviewing Kip Berman, uh, formerly of Pains of Being Pure at Heart, now with The Natural. Uh, how are you doing today, Kip? Hey, I'm good, Mark. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, my. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Um, I'm going to start out with saying I always get kind of nervous saying your new band's name because of the V in there. Uh, oh, yeah, it's pronounced Nat Verl. Nat Verl. Nat Verl. Nat, Nat Verl. No, I'm, just, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm always like, am I going to sound like an idiot saying this? Yeah, it's like if you it's like um, there's like all of those bands at festivals that are just like consonants without like letters. And it's like, like mm-hmm, what's mm-hmm. S-B-T-R-K-T? And then someone's like, duh, it's subtract. I was like, oh, sorry. I'm, I usually need well, vowels. I need some vowels in my band names yeah. to like, uh-huh. figure it out. But um, those who know, know. <laughs> you know, if if uh, we would take nothing away from this today, I just learned that that band's name is Subtract. I didn't know that before today. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's sort of like, see, see, yeah, it's a bigger font than, than the paint. Of course, the problem with like the paint was like you could only get your font so big when your name was so long. Like, right. So, like your, your, your ego on, on Billings was never like too, too inflated because you're all just like, why is that? Why do you have the tiniest font of all these uh-huh. bands? It's like, well, you have like 17 words in your title dude like maybe maybe you should have thought of that shorten the name that. <laughs> shorten that just pains it, just pains yeah were there was there ever any talk like we should just shorten this name or are you like we're riding it out <laughs> i think i think i actually wanted to at one point like but it was too late it was like we're on our third album <laughs> and uh i don't know we like used to play shows well i mean not, not play shows but we were like, on tour with the drums and we noticed that mm-hmm. they had like a cool backdrop and it just said the drums mm-hmm. and we're like we could have a cool backdrop but then you'd have to put all of the words on our, and, it, and it was just like too much trouble like you know it was like, I was like yeah. that sounds like a lot of effort trying to get all those words on some backdrop yeah. when you play but we weren't but, really at that like backdrop level either but like the drums seemed like cool because they had only a few letters and it seemed like big and iconic and our and our band name was like uh so i think a lot of people uh either liked it a lot or didn't like it a lot and it was kind of a nice filter because the kind of people that didn't like it probably wouldn't have liked our music that much anyway. It was like, <laughs> I don't know what those people were like, but I always imagined it was like some dude that was like, I'm not listening to some shit called that. And it's like, well, that sounds that sounds about right, because you probably wouldn't like our music anyway if you're like that offended by our band name. So it sounds pre screen. Yeah, it was yeah, it's like a, a self selecting audience, I think, was for our music. <laughs> like it's like if you can make it past this band name, you might. You might dig some of our songs. Who knows? It sounds like the pains of being too famous. 
I, 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 we were just, just, I mean, it's like I can barely walk down the street in suburban New Jersey without being <laughs> mobbed, mobbed by my, awesome. by some I'm so sorry for what you've been through. It, it's, it's so tough. Just like that, the life I live, the darkness I've seen, yeah. uh, just, just <laughs> having to like go to the bagel shop and order a bagel and like sign autographs for 45 minutes. It's just, it's a really brutal life. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> No one cares. No one cares. Uh, uh, let's talk about pains. Uh, so did you were you like involved with music uh, prior to that? Like, were you just like dabbling, like messing around on your own? Did you have any bands like maybe when you oh, were in college yeah. out in, in, totally. in Portland? Oh, my goodness. You've done, you've done research. You know, when I went to college. Yes. Lou Reed. Um, yeah. No, I, I mean, honestly, like pains was like very an unexpected thing just because I'd been in bands for a long time, like since college and stuff. And, and it was like, you know, the kind of bands that you'd like start a band and you, we didn't even get to the level where we like played outside the zip code or put out a seven inch or anything. I was just in tons of, you know, bands and with my friends, like making songs that we thought were like really cool, but um, like not with like, I don't know, like maybe at some point there was some expectation, but like by the time I got to pains, it was like no sense that like anything like that would ever happen in my life. Like in, in that level of like being able to like play shows for people that aren't your like three friends and places that aren't like where you live. So like I, I was just kind of, I think we all were kind of surprised more than anything, especially since, since the kind of bands that we liked were themselves like not that well known, you know, like, like the kind of stuff we liked was a lot of like indie pop and stuff mm-hmm. from the eighties and nineties uh, that, I mean, now it sounds obvious, like the nineties are cool or something, but I remember like Peggy in some interview, like saying, like someone was like, are you kind of like an 80s band? And she was like, actually, kind of like the 90s more. And I was like, whoa, I've never heard anyone say that. You know? <laughs> um, but like, I guess like, you know, that's this is how history goes. Um, so, yeah, like I, I'd been in a bunch of bands. Like I, I played and wrote songs and stuff and, uh, you know, tried to like self-release CDRs and uh, booked. I used to book shows at my college for other bands to play. And I was like really into that. And sometimes I'd get my band to open up, which was like the highlight of it. You know, I was like, <laughs> yeah. Cause like they had no choice. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I, I think it was, it was, it wasn't until I moved to New York and I met Alex and Peggy and later Kurt and we started playing music <coughs> that, um, that things started happening in a very different way than anything I'd experienced before. In fact, when I moved to New York, it was almost because I'd given up playing music. I was, wow. <coughs> I was living in Portland, Oregon, which was a really good city for playing music. Like my rent was, like $150 a month, like we had a basement, we could jam in all the time. There's lots of cool bands around, but for whatever reason, um, it was also a pretty isolated part of the country. So like some bands from that area, like got pretty well recognized, but like what we were doing, which was like mm-hmm. sounding like a bad version of the strokes uh, <laughs> was not, was not as appreciated as, as I thought, it, I, <laughs> as I hoped it would be. I was like, right. <laughs> of course, like when people are like, you just sound like a bad st- version of the strokes. We're like, no, we're like, we're like modern lovers. Like, no, it's like, like, we're like, we're something cooler. But, but in retrospect, we were just kind of like a not very good version of the strokes who themselves are very good. So it's, it's easy not to be a not very good version of them because they've sort of set the, the bar high of being the strokes. Mm-hmm. So you've given up these aspirations of being in a successful, quote unquote, successful band, right? I still have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, like, uh, what do you attribute, like, pains making as far as they did to? Like, how did that happen? 
just think I met some friends that looked cooler than I did. Um, like it's like like I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Kurt's a pretty hot dude. Um, no, I I don't really know. I I think when I moved to New York, it was like I was around other people that were really into the same kinds of things I was and really understood um, what I was going for. So like when I was like I met Alex, he was the dude that was sitting next to me at work, and he was like playing. I think the Gories or something at his desk or Exploding Hearts. And I was like, dude, I love Exploding Hearts. I used to live in Portland. That band was amazing and so ins- inspiring and, and tragic. And and so we like, totally bonded over stuff like that. And then I met Peggy and um, yeah, we'd like to stay up late listening to like old Yellow Tango records and um, Rocket Ship. And she loved this band called Kleenex Girl Wonder. And that guy just like literally just emailed me and was like, can I rent a spot in your practice space? I was like, oh my God, dude from Kleenex Girl Wonder. Like, Peggy loved you. Like, yeah, of course, man. Um, but yeah, we just like, I just, I just found a lot of people who were like-minded. And um, I think that's just us coming to a big city like that. Everyone has their like weird music taste, but if you're in a big enough place, you find other people with your slightly weird, like fascination with like Glaswegian indie pop from the 1980s or whatever, or like the Smashing Pumpkins. And I swear to God, like, it's, it's come full circle in our lifetime as a band, but like when we started the band, we were really into Smashing Pumpkins and that was like the least cool thing possible to be into. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it got like, after a while, it was like the cool thing to be into. And now I think it's like circled backward. People don't like cite that as much, but, um, <laughs> but there was like a real strong desire of us to like connect our own experiences growing up in sort of a 90s, like suburban American like world mm-hmm. uh, or, or our world with... Um, some of the other stuff that we really liked, which was like from uh, England or, or Scotland from like the eighties or, and, and sort of like y- unite like our own culture of like indie guitar music with like a lot of the stuff we admired from overseas, like the pastels and Jesus and Mary chain and orange juice and stuff like that with bands like Velocity Girl and um, you know, uh, Rocket Ship and I set and Dear Nora and like the stuff that was happening here that we grew up with. So I think that's why our sound was kind of between worlds a little bit, where it was like some people thought it was like too English sounding and other people thought it was like too kind of lo-fi sounding or whatever. But it was just kind of because that's who the people we were. We we grew up in a certain place and we liked stuff from another place, too. So, yeah, it was cool moving to New York and meeting other people who felt that way. Absolutely. Um, developing that community is so, so huge. Uh, do you feel like your your love of like 80s? English music did that contribute to like you guys releasing seven inches on a semi-regular basis like to me that always fit into like the school of like the Smiths who are like a singles band was that like a thought behind that or was it just like hey we got this we got to put this out as soon as we record it you know I, I think there's like a, a record nerd aspect to us and there was a part of us that really valued the idea of like the idea of like a, just a three minute pop song mm-hmm. um and now it feels like such a straw man argument to advocate for that because everyone's like, it's like a de facto norm. But like when we were coming up, it didn't feel like there was a strong, like indie music was still very like purposely esoteric. It was a little bit more, and it's, it's gotten back that way too. It's like, uh, there's a lot of bands that are jazzy now. And, and when we were coming up, it was like, yeah, it was like things like Grizzly Bear were like the cool thing. And like, like this sort of a uh, very musical um kind of uh, expression and a sort of nuance and um, like sort of purposely obtuse kind of uh, presentation of sound. But, um, and it's not to say what we did was better or worse. It's just like what we were about was like a sort of 
emphatic moment of, of hyper like pop, which isn't like hyper pop in the way that like it's used now, but like this, this, this emphatic sense of like, here's three minutes. If you only hear one song by us, you'd still get the whole picture. You know, it wasn't like about like, oh, you have to listen to like 47 minutes while stone <laughs> to like comprehend what we're about. Like, it's yeah. like, no, we're like, we write three minute pop songs about feelings and it was like direct and it was simple. And it was like the kind of songs you could learn to play if you're just learning how to play the guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly because I don't really know how to play the guitar all that well too. But like, <laughs> you know, the idea of, it was like a sort of sense of like, you can do this too. Um, like it was like, we're doing something almost better than we know how to do. Like a little bit too, where we're, we're doing something beyond ourselves where we're like, shit, we don't actually know how to make real music, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, so uh, that was kind of always the attitude that inspired us. And uh, I think it was a bit of a break from what had come before. Uh, and it's obviously what came out after was different as well. But other bands were doing that too. I thought bands like Vivian Girls, um, the drums, like Crystal Still to Roy Cool. But like in terms of just like emphatic, like three minute pop songs, that's kind of was like, what we wanted to do in the seven inch was an ideal format for that. Now, like, of course with vinyl prices now, it's like when I was a kid, like a seven inch might cost like two bucks or three bucks. And it was a way to like go to a punk show and like buy one song by chisel or one song by like mm-hmm. whatever band you're seeing. Uh, but then it became something where it was like a sort of fetishized collector's item and it mm-hmm. became expensive. And we, we, and it wasn't like we were trying to make a profit off them. It was just like, we had to keep on charging more money to the point where it became like, I don't want to sell a seven inch for $7. Like yeah. I didn't even really want to sell for five bucks. Like mm-hmm. I seemed a lot like for two songs and it, and it's almost like the original thing that made the seven inch cool, which was just like right. an accessible way for like someone that didn't have much money to just buy something of the band at the show. Like you don't have to buy the record. You don't have to buy a t-shirt. You can just buy like, have like three bucks and be like, that was a cool band. Like, should I get another mm-hmm. beer? Should I get like a seven inch? Um, that's kind of disappeared economically. And then I think, um, then it seems like the format didn't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it just didn't not from a terms of like trying to make money from it, but just in terms of like what it represented as a accessible um, thing you could get from a band that you liked. And so we ended up having to stop doing that around our, our third album or so, but uh, early on, we were just like really psyched to put out seven inch singles as much as we could and kind of try to put our best songs on there and, and hope that like, if anyone gave, if we had like, we didn't need 15 minutes of fame. We just needed like three minutes of fame, you know? So, uh, (laughs) and that was enough. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, it seems like, uh, your approach to putting out an album was kind of old school in that, you know, you're trying to put together some cohesive, all of this fits together type of record, as opposed to just putting three minute pop songs on the, on the album. Well, I mean, it's, it's also a format that meant a lot to me as well. I mean, maybe I'm having, speaking out of both sides of my mouth, but mm-hmm. um, I grew up in an era where an album was like the, the thing you'd listen to. It's like, mm-hmm. like, obviously like Tori Amos would have a song on the radio and it was like a pretty good song. But like, if you got the album, there was like even better songs that were maybe didn't fit the format of like, like modern rock radio, but like right. there'd be like winter on like um, uh, under the pink or whatever. It would be like five and a half minutes long. And it was like, Maybe it has like no chorus or what I, I don't even know, like that, that song in particular, but I, I there's all this so much more to music from the album side of it growing up that I just love like pavements, Wally Zowie or whatever. I remember listening to the album so much. And it was like all these like weird songs and then some of these yeah. beautiful sprawling songs. And yeah. um, they, I mean, like obviously I like, cut your hair is a cool, cool jam, but like what pavement was about was it just can't sort of work so much better in like an album uh, setting. 
So yeah, I, I, I've, I've, I've cared about making, I mean, it sounds so pretentious. I, I don't want to curse, but it sounds deeply pretentious. Go for it. You can swear as much as you okay, want. Okay. So yeah. I, well, I, I don't know. Like it's, 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 I, I, it's yeah. FCC fine. Okay. So like, it sounds so pretentious when uh, bands talk about just, I just want to make a classic album, you know, like in the spirit of like the classic albums that came before, because it's such like a, a sort of a pompous sense of like artistic bullshit. But like, yeah. I, I do think if you have 10 songs that are cohesive and like balance each other out and you have some like fast ones and some slow ones and they, and you look at them after you're done with them and you realize a lot of the songs are about kind of the same thing, but from different perspectives. Like yeah. I like to think about that too. Like it, it, multiple songs might be about the same situation, but it's like, you're looking at it from a different way. It's not like, it, and, it, and you can explore that more with, um, with albums where you can look at situations from different perspectives. Cause there's different moments on that album that allow you to do that and different pacing and different, um, like sequencing is really important where it's like the first song is like really important. And mm-hmm. then what, where it goes from there is like, and like the first side of the second half, I think of things in terms of like vinyl still where mm-hmm. it starts. So it's kind of a new, a new narrative when you flip it over. So yeah, I, I love making records. And I think um, even though the world is going obviously towards a more single singles based like uh, format again, which it originally was, I mean, like pop music and, the fifties and sixties was about the single and focused on the single. And it wasn't until some like wanky dudes, um, mostly dudes, um, also Johnny Mitchell, like really started to consider uh, more uh, the seriousness of rock music that mm-hmm. like albums took on this sort of mythical, mythical identity, but um, it, it didn't have to be that way. And it doesn't mean that that's like the better form of art. It was just a weird historical moment where all of a sudden it was 1973 and everyone's like, I'm like a cool singer songwriter. And like the only way I'm going to get my point across is by, um, you know, a cool folk rock album, which it's 2021. And I feel the same way now. So um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't have Joni. I don't have Joni's range. Uh, unfortunately um, I don't have, her, I don't have, so I, I, I sort of have like, I can sing the same three notes that like uh, Bob Dylan can sing. So I, I went, I went or Neil Young, you know, so I can sort yeah, of like, yeah. it's like, there's like, there's some people in that era that like, oh, you know, so it's interesting because like, yeah, that singer songwriter moment, it's like, there's like some profoundly talented singers and then there's like some profoundly like, like the opposite of that, but they still made the best records. Like it, it almost like, it really didn't matter. Like if you were awesome at music or if you're kind of borderline suspect, like mm-hmm. you could make something that was cool. And I, I think of like, obviously Joni Mitchell is like a much better guitar player than uh, like, even Neil Young, who's I think is a really cool guitar player too. Like the way he plays, I, I like it a lot. But like they both were doing something valid and like express, expressive of themselves and and their point across. And like, yeah, like Neil Young's like lyricism was much more like everything was like comma man or like so it's just sort of like this really like, <laughs> man, I'm just out on the road, man. And seeing, it's like, it's like if the war on drugs, like it's like the same idea, like this sort of observational, vague, mm-hmm understanding of time and place and space man out there in my car driving down like self-mythologizing right? yeah yeah it's not self-mythologizing but it's like really like in touch with like the landscape and the terrain of of the american west or whatever um and then like you know joni is like definitely much more esoteric and um cerebral in her writing and just you know can do shit where you're just like holy how can you like do that with your voice and with your mind and with your like hands and guitar and you're just like like between her and Prince, I don't know if there's like anybody's been like more like a triple threat of both writer 
performer um, and singer. And, and obviously a performer can mean a lot of different things in terms of like over the top performance or just like how mm-hmm. stunning someone's mm-hmm. voice is in the moment. And so resonant. So um, yeah, I, I like albums and I, I, I still do, even though I know they're not like the, the vibe right now. Uh, so when, when pain, pains breaks up, you wrote pains was a distinct moment in my life. I always felt like listening to your albums, they had very specific moments. Like I felt like the self-titled always felt like it was so full of youth and energy. Uh, belong felt like maturing and starting to figure out your place in the world. Uh, days of abandon always felt like, okay, I'm happy now. Like I'm, I'm in love. Like this is good. An echo of pleasure felt like kind of like an acceptance of adulthood and an epilogue kind of, of sorts. Uh, I don't know if you could be like, that's no, you're misreading this completely, (laughs) but do you feel like you were, I'm reading way, way too much into that? Or do you feel like you're writing for those narratives or the narratives presented themselves as you were just writing? I think, I I think the narratives made sense in retrospect. Like at the time I wasn't, I'm not like that self-conscious of mm-hmm. a person that writes songs. I, I can find the meaning after I write them. Like, and then I kind of look back and I'll be like, whoa, I kept on referencing this idea or like this phrase, like popped up in a couple of songs. Like, um, and I think about what was going on in my life and I, I see how that all comes together. Uh, um, you know, I think the nice thing about Belong was it was written before the first album for the most part came out. So it wasn't oh. influenced too much by yeah, yeah, like, oh shit, we're all, we're like, have to like do something real even though it it does feel like we have to do something real in terms of how it was produced like mm-hmm. the i think belong really was just i don't know I, I felt like the first album like it sounds like dumb but was a little bit too um succinct or something like or I, I was able to put things in too much context or like sort of like when you're like the author of your own story you're like you kind of always come out on top or something like that there was like something that was like, you know what i'm saying it's like there's like yeah, yeah, yeah too flattering of yourself or something or too like all, all the wordplay and the jokes were just a little bit like too like hey, hey look what I can do and I want to <laughs> and, and with belong I wanted to just be more immersed in like a sense of pure feeling and that pure moment of just um like expression without an intellectual framework around it I can just like say what I'm feeling maybe it was like um and just trying to capture that the energy and um the enthusiasm of that moment because it was on one hand, the songs were kind of written for like a, a for a fame that we thought was a pipe dream, but then it was actually kind of happening, and then yeah. it didn't happen. But like, <laughs> then it was like, but then it was like, it was sort of like the dream was coming true, and like, I mean, even that last song, "Strange," it's like, uh, like, like, like it just like drones out on our dreams are coming true, and it's coming mm-hmm. true for you. Like, and it's and it's like, I mean, everyone make fun of the lyrics of that song because it starts off when everyone was doing drugs we were just doing love but i will say we were doing love and drugs at the same time you know <laughs> you have to like put in parentheses that and drug it was just sort of it seemed like it was inferred but not not like some sort of straight edge anthem either but um <laughs> yeah like it's um i thought that that album was really about like em- like just like a total embrace of a moment and then days of abandon like it didn't really make sense to me what that album was about until time because like I wrote a bunch of songs and I, that was a, in a weird way the album I had the most trouble for because I wrote so many songs and then it was about choosing which songs yeah. would go together and told the story I wanted to tell and I, I wasn't I don't know how to say it I was like I was almost in denial of like what story I was telling with that album because it was a breakup album because in a sense because 
the band was breaking up. Like mm-hmm. Peggy left before the album was recorded and Alex and Kurt, like they played on the album, but they were like, told me they were going to like do their own thing afterwards and like move on with their lives. Um, and so it was sort of like, a, and then at the same time, like I didn't want Kurt to quit. So I kind of wrote all these songs that I thought Kurt would like, cause they were like, he likes fancier music. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, Oh, well maybe <laughs> if I write songs that Kurt, like, you know, in a lot of ways I'd write songs that were like, for the purpose of impressing my bandmates. Like I think the first couple albums were like, I really want to impress Peggy or whatever. Cause we'd hang out all the time. And she's like certain kinds of things. I'd be like, yeah, we can write songs like that. Or, mm-hmm. um, and then like for that album, it was like trying to, I guess, impress Kurt with like how, how many jazz chords I knew, which turned out to be not very many. <laughs> um, but uh, so we did that. And then, but it was also about sort of the anguish of like losing, losing the band, losing the, the group of friends that not like we weren't friends, but losing that community uh, that had we'd kind of gone through this amazing experience with and trying to make sense of that. So like songs like Art Smock, um, I mean, like it was like that song was so you, succinct in that you could listen to that the opening track of Days of Abandon. You don't have yeah, to listen to the rest of the song. album. Um, but it was just sort of like about like my relationship. It wasn't a romantic relationship at all, but like my my friendship with Peggy sort of not disintegrating, but like us going our separate mm-hmm. ways and like the dream kind of being over at that point um, or the shared dream at least being over. Sure. Um, and, and so that was, that was a hard album, but then I couldn't like in the moment say that that was what the album was about because I was like a little bit in denial too. I was just like, no, no, sure. it's like same as it ever was, you know, like it all work out. Like, yeah. Keep on plugging forward, keep on making more songs. And um, you know, and a lot, and, and to a lot of people like their happiest moments with, uh, the music was the first two albums. Um, and that's when like the original lineup was together. And I, mm-hmm. I totally understand how that's like important in a lot of ways. And it doesn't matter if like, you know, Jacob, who's also my friend is playing bass instead of Alex, who's my friend playing bass. Like to some people, it's like that original way that they mm-hmm. come to learn about something is the way yeah. that it should be. And if it changes, then inherently that change is bad. And, and, and with the third and fourth album, I, I think you kind of push up against it. It wasn't like I'm happy now and content. It was more like I was trying to tell a different story with the music about my life now and what I was going through. But it was like the form of the band just didn't allow people to want to hear that or see that. Or it was like no one wanted to. Everyone was like, oh, can you write some more songs about Teenage Ennui or like like being sad in the suburbs at 17. And I was <laughs> like, um, like, I'm sad in the suburbs. Since I'm 35. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, and that's my waist size now where it was used to be. 17. It was like, no, but it was like, it was like a very hard thing to try to continue making like authentic music that resonated with. Yeah. Like what I was about, not like in this preposterous way, like just being authentic, man, but like, just like trying to sing songs that like made sense of my life mm-hmm. when the expectation was to sing about another time of life, like, or an idealized another time of life. But I, did, I never wanted to be one of these guys. That's like, all right, we're on the, the 17 year reunion of our first album. And we're going to try to squeeze into the same tight black jeans <laughs> that we had on yeah. in like 2006. <laughs> like I, I wanted to tell new stories and um, I just didn't know how to do that yet. And so with the echo of pleasure, I kind of thought of that as like, I'll do like a Payne's greatest hits kind of album where it's just like, it's kind of draws from all the errors of the band and like go out on a high note. What I thought, like, it, it just seemed like days of abandon on some level. I, I like the record still. I might've picked the wrong songs for it, but like it's the general vibe I got back. And not that I care was that 
it disappointed just about everyone. Um, I disagree. I loved it. I loved it. But like, it was just like at that cultural moment, it wasn't what people wanted. So I I kind of did echo pleasure. I was like, you know what? I want to like go out with a more like, uh, if not euphoric kind of idea, but like just sort of like big pansy songs and that like on your own terms, on my own terms and not just like have this like weird chapter of like, Oh, like people left a band and then it like all like went to shit. Like I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to drive the ship out of the the shit ocean back into the like, not so (laughs) shitty, the not so shitty shallows or whatever it is. I just said, whatever. So it's like, and and I I feel like that album was cool. Like both those albums are cool. I know they didn't like mean as much to people because of, you know, when they happened and how they happened. But um, it, it was sort of like my way of ending things in a way I could. And when my daughter was born in 2016, you know, I, I recorded Echo of Pleasure when my wife was pregnant. And um, and once my daughter was born, um, it it just felt like it gave me the the freedom and the license to just um, just do what I want to do now. And yeah, like make the music break. I want to yeah. make. And not in this like, I'm an old man going to make my esoteric weird music that no one's going to like. More just like, I didn't have to write for anyone else. I didn't have to like try to impress like, anyone else in the room with my music. I just had to like write the kind of music that like resonated with my own life and my own feelings and what I was interested in that time. And I realized I'm a long winded and overly talkative person about this stuff, but it was like a real liberating feeling to know that like the band could end. No one was mad at each other. No one had bad feelings towards the band. Um, And it was just this, like, like the best possible outcome was just putting it to bed and not like, having to go to rehab, you know, <laughs> it's just like, it was just like, it's like, man, when I, like, yeah. when I look at all of the peers we had in that, in that world and like how much uh, emotional and mental and physical, like sort of tragedy befell them um, through like that proximity to attention and people being interested in your music. It just, it's, it, I'm not, I'm not saying it's like an unhealthy thing, but I just think it's like, we got off pretty light in terms of the fact that like, we're all, you know, if I have a birthday party, I can still like text like Peggy and be like, yo, <laughs> you want to come down to the bar, yeah. bar or whatever. And it's like, I was like texting her the other day about some like, um, uh, well, Kleenex Girl Wonder actually. I was like the cool <laughs> indie pop band. And it was like, everything's, everything's cool. And like Alex is doing his new music in a band called Massage. Like Kurt did Ice Choir for a bit. And now he's doing other stuff. And, and there's no, and Kristoff is playing in Wild Nothing right now. He's on tour and Anton, who played drums and paints for a while, he's playing in Beach Fossils. He has been for a while, and, yeah, yeah. and everyone's like doing, doing well, I think. And yeah, yeah. Um, and there's no, I mean, I knock on wood, of course, but it's like <laughs> the the whatever, like. And then it got really dark. Just never. Yeah. If it happened, it happened in such a mild way that it it's not even worth like getting into. So, um, I, I feel pretty lucky that. Um, pains and joys, like people that still want to chat about it and are like, those records yeah. were cool. Mm-hmm. And um, at a time in my life that, that meant something to me or something. And and at the same I time, there's no, like, there's no like, and I've like, there's no like long lasting, like trauma that I'm mm-hmm. aware of. At least. <laughs> even even well, Peggy's new band, Storefront, they're really cool too. Yeah, no, dude, I, I think actually, I think they stopped playing because uh, oh. the, uh, the, the, the woman uh, that fronted it like might've moved. But then I was trying to get her to join Queen X Girl Wonder because that was like her favorite band. I was like, <laughs> I know the guy. He's having band practice in the old practice space. You could probably write him an email and be like, yo, you need someone to play some keyboards and 
a little good. She plays guitar too. Um, but yeah, and it's like, I, just show I, yeah. up at practice one day. I just, yeah. I just think that would be, it would come full circle. Where you, it's like how Billy Corgan like joined new order for a little while. He's like, <laughs> yeah. I love new order. And now I will join new order. And yeah. like, order and be like, okay, you can go over there and like play keyboards for a bit. Yeah. Like this is cool. Sure. Like, it's like, it's like one of those things where it's like a little confusing probably for new order to be like, why does Billy Corgan want to be in new yeah. order? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's really cool. And I, um, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm just like grateful for all the people along the way that like, you know, helped us and like were nice to us. And, you know, like we were probably got more attention than we deserved, but um, that's like, just sometimes like that's how life is. Well, let me ask a question. I think, um, I think you might've mentioned this, you know, along the way in various interviews and everything, but it must be sort of weird. I mean, we're talking about the, the, the thought behind these records and where you were when you did it and everything. But when you record a record, you know, it's like a year later before the thing comes out and you've long since moved on to something else. So, you know, how do you kind of deal with that issue? Well, it's super tough. I mean, even this new record tethers that came out this year, like I started recording that right before my son was born. Like I had like three days in the studio and like we banged out like five songs and then my son was born like two weeks early. So we're like, um, we're going to put this on hold for a little bit. And then we came back to it and uh, finished it like in another four days. Um, and that was like 2019. And then we're like, we got all the art done and all that stuff. And we're like, oh, cool. We got it mixed. We're going to put it out. And then like the pandemic happened, um, which obviously the tragedy of the pandemic isn't like it delays some dude in a band's like, like plans to put out a record. But, um, right. but it was like, by the time it came out, it was this spring and it kind of had been like, like two and a half, a year since I started recording it, like th- probably three years, even more since I wrote the songs that were on it. And now I'm just starting to do some touring for it now. And I'm like, I already started recording the next record. So it's, I haven't even really gotten a chance to tour um, these songs at all. And they're pretty old. Like I don't, I wouldn't say I, I'm not like moved on from them, but it, it's, it, it is a weird disconnect to be like, this is the first time I'm playing these songs for people. And it's been several years since I wrote them. Um, so, and then I'm writing new songs where it's, of course, you're always excited. Yes. Like, oh, I got these new songs, but I still haven't played the first songs yet. So I probably have to, you know, just put, put the, the ones that are on tethers in the set and um, yeah. worry about the new ones later. So there is like, there, there, you're always moving at a different pace uh, in terms of when you're writing a song as to when you're recording a song. And when you're, if you're lucky, like going on tour and like playing songs for people, uh, that's always different, but, as you get older, you're just like, I don't know how to say it. I think it would have been harder for me when I was like younger to like really um, be patient, but there's so much stuff in my life that's happened. That's delayed my ability to even like put, pick up the guitar and like do that. Or like have basic things like going to New York and, uh, and getting in the band practice room with my, my guys and gals and jamming like that. I've just kind of, I'm not like a Zen person. I don't like believe people should be calm and like at peace with things. I, I kind of think like, you know, I, if I if I had the option to go through life, I, I can I just be like slightly agitated and drink coffee and <laughs> slightly like talk too much and be a bit neurotic. Like I'm like I don't want to yeah. attain like true peace and awareness or whatever um, too soon. Um, so all I'm saying is like yeah, man, it's it's a little weird, but it'll it'll be fine. I, I like tethers, I like those songs, and I'm yeah. I'm excited to come play them for people and. Um, I'm going on tour with Annie. Oh, I have a couple of shows with Luna coming up, which is really cool. I get to do a couple of those even with a full band, which 
um, which involves a lot of different like moving parts. But then I'm just doing the shows with Annie Hart uh, with my guitar, electric guitar solo. And I kind of like doing things that way. I, I don't want to say I like it better, but in, in a weird sense, like I'm just able to play, do the things I like most in music, which is like pick up a guitar and sing songs for people and uh, sell some t-shirts afterwards, hopefully. And, um, and with like a band, like sometimes you have to like carry a lot of amplifiers around and like plan people's schedules and drop people off back at their house afterwards. And like, it's just a lot of, it's a lot <laughs> like of $70. Yeah. yeah. It's like, a, it's a lot of schlepping. And like, at this point, I just want, I just like doing the fun part of music and not the, the schlepping part of music. If that makes <laughs> sense. Like, it's like, can we just do the music part and not the like logistics part, I guess. And with pains, like I, I, it was like a big part of how I, thought about this new project because with pains we had to say no to like a lot of cool stuff just because it was always about like oh can we get all five of us there and like Mm -hmm. we have to rent a certain size vehicle to take that many people and take these amps and is there enough space and everything's so dependent on the sound like if it's not like a full band incarnation it's not like a true representation of the music and that was like that felt really limiting because there's a lot of cool experiences that we couldn't say yes to just because it was like getting there was too expensive or mm-hmm. we needed the right, right kind of gear amplifiers and stuff. And I just felt like we were kind of missing the point. And I just wanted to do a kind of music where it wasn't dependent on any of that. Like I could, if there, if I had a guitar in my hand, I could play the songs and it wasn't like a yeah. diminished version of the songs. It was the songs. And that was like, what was at the core of what I was doing? And it wasn't about like, Oh, is, do we have this specific kind of amplifier in our pedal board and stuff? Like I don't, I mean, I know it sounds like ridiculous and a little like, um, retrograde or like um luddite but like i don't use any guitar pedals like i I just literally have an amplifier i plug in my guitar and i play it and that's how it sounds and with pains there was always this obsession of like like eight guitar pedals going at the same time and like (laughs) certain amps it was like a real different vibe and um i just wanted to do something that was direct uh, even more direct than pains i know i was joking about how like pains was like if you listen to three minutes of our music, you listen to all of our music, but like, I wanted to find a way of even like doing something even more um, like natural and direct and just un- unadorned. Oh, natural. Yeah. Yeah. You're, or, or natural. Very natural. <laughs> you're, you're kind of a- answering the question already, but there was a, a, I was reading an interview in the Chicago Tribune from 2017 and you said, I don't want to be in a solo project. I just want to be in a band. So obviously that's not, that's not happening now. Well, um, <laughs> there's like, I mean, I, if I, if I called it Kit Berman, like maybe it would be a solo project. And I, I guess like, I well, the, the, the other thing you said was, I just want to exist to make music, which is, which is really what it's all about. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I was like full of shit in 2017, or like, <laughs> like trying to like, it's quite possible. I was just like, trying to like uh breathe a reality into a band that no longer really existed right um with right. pains um I, I also think it's like when you're asking me about like what those records were about like I, I could be wrong you know it's like it's yeah. like asking me like how i was feeling in 2010 right um writing belong or whatever like or like recording belong like i don't maybe even know like maybe i remember what i remember yeah. of it but yeah. i could be a a, a, a bad narrator narrator of my own like stuff like it's not like you ask like 
Paul McCartney about stuff and he doesn't really know what happened in the Beatles. Like he doesn't really remember. <laughs> he tells a story that makes him look like a nice dude and like, yeah. And like, and, and like conveniently blames John for everything that like went wrong. Yeah. You know, it's like, or like yeah. whatever. Like he's, he's not so you're a John answer. guy. It's, well, no, I'm, I'm not. I think, Paul, I think Paul is, I think Paul is underrated, but then it's kind of gone too far. in the fact that he isn't like exactly, I think Paul gets misunderstood in terms of the fact that he actually was a pioneer of like DIY home recording. He did lo-fi stuff. He was like, experimental he was musically thoughtful in ways that i don't think he gets credit for because everyone's like oh john is like serious and cared about real things um and paul was like goofy and like nice but um at the same time i think like paul doesn't remember the beatles like and, and he has he has memories mm-hmm. of memories but like yeah well they were like, on pretty, drugs all the time well <laughs> I, as, as they should be like it's like that's like if you're like not then like you're kind of missing out on the point of being in a band like you can get it you can make more money well maybe not as much money as the beatles but if you had like a normal nine to five job you could probably do better than being in a band like it's, it's more about like the benefits like you don't get health care but you do get drugs um so <laughs> i don't know but like it's like yeah i i, I do think it's like i i'm not an accurate narrator of my own experiences and i don't think um Sir Paul is either at this point of his life. He's like 80 years old. And you're asking me to remember things he did when he was like 20, 24. Yeah, like it's they like, broke it's up. Just, he was 28 years old. It's just like, it's impossible. And I think he's good natured about it. And he tries to answer as honestly as he can. I don't think he's, what I'm saying is I don't think he's lying, but I don't think he has access to the truth either. Like, and I, I, mm. I don't think, Oh, I like and, that. I, and I, and it's possible. I'm like at that point in my life where it's like, I have, um, like, I remember like what size my pants were when I went shopping at Uniqlo, but like, I don't, quite remember what my state of mind was when writing um like girl of a thousand dreams like i i think i know what it was about but like i it might it might be lost to me at this point um so the question was i didn't want to be a band no i, I think like i didn't want to associate my name with like uh my music in partially because there's already a um a guy uh, david berman who has my last name and so it's like being kip berman would be um it, it would just be confusing and like people would be like, are mm-hmm. you his nephew? Um, mm-hmm. I am. Um, but uh, no, I'm not. Um, but it's like, it's, it's like, I just kind of, I just kind of think it's like, I know it's like Berman is like basically like the, the, Smith, the Smith of like middle-class Jews. Um, so <laughs> it's like, there's a lot of Bermans out there. It's like, are you related to Chris Berman? I was like, no, like, <laughs> that's, a, that's old school sports center, I guess. I, yeah. I, maybe kids don't even know. Like, when I was in high school, people were like, oh my God, is Chris Berman in your family? I was like, um, uh, no, he's not. I um, always go, he's my uncle. Yeah, he's my uncle. Uh, but then he, he got like, in trouble for being a little sketchy too. But um, yeah. But uh, but David Berman's cool. Um, but like, yeah, it's like, I didn't want to have my name be the name of the project because i thought it lent itself too much to like assumptions of autobiography and like mm-hmm. almost like assist- people wouldn't have any suspension of like disbelief that like the stories i was telling um they would be there's something that's like, oh, these must all be drawn about like his life in suburban new jersey and being a father and like i mean maybe some of it's that but like maybe some of it's about like i don't know like being a greek goddess trying to lure like odysseus to an island and being pissed off that he leaves like i i, I wanted some allowance for like poetic license for imagination yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, a sort of non-literal uh interpretation of my music that isn't drawn entirely on my like biographical existence and by mm-hmm. not putting my it's like how like i don't know man like connor Obers is cool but like i think the idea of like i'm gonna go see bright eyes tonight like that it was like something more than just him 
mm-hmm. when or um and obviously a lot of my favorite artists are just like their names it's like Joni Mitchell like Leonard Cohen like Elliot Smith um Roy Orbison or Tom Petty or whatever it's like they're their names but uh like generally speaking I kind of like when even if it is like a solo project it uh has a name that isn't just the person's name because it allows for um just a greater possibility of like creativity in terms of yeah. how how other people see the music and how people sure. perceive it and um, a degree of anonymity to me also because like when you're I'm a pretty like boring ass person so it's like the more people <laughs> get to know me it's like the more there's like oh this is like <laughs> that's Kip that huh? guy, huh. that guy <laughs> that's just like he likes mm-hmm. the Green Bay Packers and he like um, I know you guys are in Chicago it's like okay, I'm yeah. not like a I'm not like a Bears hater it's like it's like some it's like it's like a Maybe this sounds even worse. It's like it's hard to have a rivalry that's been so one-sided. Who oh, you own? Oh, you also oh, own the Bears. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, 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 I know Packers fans are shareholders in in, in the team in some mm-hmm. kind of weird economic system, yeah. but they also seem to be shareholders in the the Bears. At, at this yeah, point that's as well. true. Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> that hurts. I'm, I'm getting. Wait, am I? Am, I getting, am I breaking up? Why is the screen going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's I'm so screen. Kip had to leave. Hey, uh, Kip hey. had to leave. Yeah, Kip is like a really bad person. It turns out he's a he likes the Packers. No, it's it's been also. Hey, yeah. hey, hey Mark, we can just edit this part. Yeah, out. We just yeah, yeah out. we'll yeah. definitely yeah. cut this part out. Yeah, no, no, no. The Bears are classic. Oh, I actually do um evaluate like my my feelings for uh, NFL teams and most sports franchises by their uh, willingness to never change their uniforms. And I truly cannot stand like new versions of uniforms. So like the fact that the Bears have looked like the Bears for the entirety mm-hmm. of my lifetime and lifetimes before me. I appreciate that. Excellent. The fact that the Packers look like the Packers, the Steelers look like the Steelers, mm-hmm. the Raiders look like the Raiders. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's just like some, I used to, I mean, I grew up in Philadelphia and I kind of lost it when the Eagles transitioned their uniforms like from the Randall Cunningham era, which were, which yeah. was awesome. Like where it was like Kelly green and the silver. And now they have this like weird, like dark green that looks like kind of like it's wet. And, and, and it's yeah. like the Donovan McNabb era wasn't nearly as awesome as the uh, Randall Cunningham era. So, uh, yeah, it's like the Vikings are the Vikings, you know, I, I, the Saints are the Saints. I, I really like a, a consistency. And I, what I don't like is when uh, you try to have a, a new logo that looks like old timey, like trying mm-hmm. to evoke, like, like how I think the Astros, Astros used to have these amazing like mm-hmm. rocket ship uniforms. Now they're like, we're going to have pinstripes because like it's classic or something like that. It's like you, <laughs> you don't, you can't like... <laughs> It's like only the Yankees should one only the Yankees should have pinstripes. I know the Brewers have pinstripes too, but sometimes. But it's like whatever. Like um, you 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 just the way you get classic is by just not changing. You don't like yeah. like keep right. on like trying to find. You don't classic. get to dictate those terms. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you don't get to. And if you're in fucking Texas, like pinstripes aren't for you. Like it's just mm-hmm. like <laughs> that's the Yankees. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like all these. Or it's like it's like having another basketball court with like parquet. Co- floors or something it's like that's the celtics mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. i know like brooklyn right. tried to do like hound's tooth and that was kind of cute but like it's, it, it just seems like a little trying too hard just like stick with if you like hold out long enough eventually like it's like that line in chinatown where it's like modern architecture politicians and like um i i, I would probably paraphrase it as sex workers become respectable in time with time like it's like they over time like things that seem egregious or new or out of step um, become venerable just by the passage mm-hmm. of time. So like if the Astros still had like the rocket ship uniforms they had in like 1978 when like Nolan Ryan was pitching for them or uh, yeah. 
they that everyone would be like, oh, classic Astros. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah. I know they're I know they're a much maligned franchise because they're cheaters. But um, yep. it's um, yeah, yeah. That that's why I'd say like sports uniforms just need to like never change, never deviate. I'm not a conservative person by any means, but I think with sports <laughs> uniforms, that's that is a time for this complete preservation. And, and just like, yeah, eventually it'll look cool. It's like how the Charlotte Hornets were like in the nineties were like, had these like teal and purple uniforms. And everyone's like, oh my God, it's like, like young people thought they were the coolest. And old people were probably just like, this is disgusting. And then they like did all this stuff where it's like the team moved. So they got a new team and they were like orange. And it was like trying to like do this and that. And then they realized that if they had just stuck with like the 1990, the Alonzo morning era, like that yeah. would be, that would be the Muggsy Bogues. Like mm-hmm. that would be the, that would be the shit. So yeah. See, I'm a little bit more partial to the New Orleans Hornets myself from my time living there. Oh, I mean, well, the Chris Paul era. I know I, it's yeah. tough. I, I, I like the Pelicans king cake uniforms, like the ones that are green, yellow, and purple. That seems like really good. The ones that are like red, like gold and navy blue are almost as bad as those Atlanta Hawks uniforms that yeah. used to be around that were mm. just like, let's take the Dominique Wilkins era, which was awesome. Again, this is like I have the same point of view on everything. Whatever the sports team was when I was 10 years old was the perfect version <laughs> of the sports team. And like any deviation from that or attempt to improve it was, is, is, an, is an affront to God. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, well, seeing I don't, a, I don't know how uh, we're going to steer out of this. Well, I'm seeing a concept album about uh, sports uniforms. I mean, that, that might be the next release. <laughs> but the Cubs anyway, I mean, the White Sox, the White Sox kind of did it OK with like the, Watch the it. With Frank, Watch Frank it. Thomas. No, no, I yeah. think that was okay. one of the weird ones that actually worked because it was like okay. Frank Thomas. New Comiskey was a little bit weird. I went to old Comiskey as a kid. Um, Me too. Yeah, the, Great place. Are you guys White Sox people or Cubs people? I'm a diehard White Sox fan. I'm both. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, oh God, it is it is tough because it's like the Cubs are classic, but like the Sox are like, I know they're the Brewers rivals, and it was like when the Brewers were in the American League, it was like more of the rivalry. Now it's like the Cubs, but uh, yeah, like the White Sox when they like got those new uniforms with the with the pinstripes and like the old school like socks, and it was like Frank Thomas, like that was really cool. And so like I was that was like one innovation that I will allow. Okay, allow for it. Well. Let, let's do this. this. You can edit all this uniform stuff out. And those are the best part. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, Both Mark and I love tethers. Um, You know, doing this yourself, you talked about like sometimes in the past you were doing songs to impress your bandmates or make them happy or whatever. Was it kind of freeing to be able to just do the songs yourself and do whatever you wanted? Yes, it was. It was was great. I mean, like, I was like, just started jamming on my guitar around the house. My daughter was like, she wasn't going to school yet or preschool yet. So I just, um, I was listening to a lot of music that kind of made sense in that moment. Like it was more, it wasn't like 80s post-punk shoegaze kind of music. It was like, got related to this band, uh, Fairport Convention, mm-hmm. which yeah. was oh, yeah, uh, band. a folk rock band from like mm-hmm. late 60s, early 70s. And it was almost because almost by accident because I was like playing guitar. I was playing some new song I was working on and my mom was over and she's like, that reminds me of a little bit of this guy, Richard Thompson. Do you know him? I was like, no, I, I just didn't know. So I looked him up and I, I got a couple of his solo records. I started listening to, I want to see the bright lights tonight, which is just amazing. He did it with his, uh, with Linda Thompson. I was like, so good. And there's another one he did called like Hokey Pokey. That was really cool. It was a little more, uh, a little more like a pro- not process sounding, but it was, it was, it was really cool too. And then I went back with the fairport and I was just mm-hmm. 
absolutely blown away by how I think I had the wrong idea of them. Like I thought they were like a hippy dippy, like folk, like the kind of Peter Paul and Mary thing. Right, that was like right. Very like that, and it wasn't that yeah. at all. It was like cool, yeah, interesting really cool. rock guitar, but like these sort of ancient melodies and this sort of medieval mm-hmm. vibe of like English folk music and like San San. San, Sandy Denny was just such a good singer. Mm-hmm. But like the guitar parts were made, it, it, and they put out. I mean, it was a weird coincidence, but they put out like three of their classic albums all in the same year, in like 1969. And they were so cool at a time when maybe because they were just so focused on like reinterpreting English uh, folk music that it never totally resonated in the states in the same way. Uh, Dylan did or Neil Young did um, but like they were doing things just as cool and their interpretations of Dylan were just like awesome they take like these like maybe I haven't seen heard like real versions of it but I've heard of these like Dylan demos like I'll keep it with mine which is like mm-hmm. fine like it's, it's a totally decent song but their interpretation of it just like elevates it into something so beautiful and uh, and they I think they did it with some other some other of his songs too and um, I was just really taken aback by their music. And I got really into that and, and music for that period. Like I, I got into this uh, Neil Young record that's called tonight's the night. There was like a live version of it recorded uh, released yeah, a few yeah, years yeah. ago, but it was just from the Roxy, right? Yeah. And it was like, yeah. there's like definitely a few like stage banter things that you might want to skip over where you're just like, it was 1973. <laughs> your friend just <laughs> died. Right, you're, yeah. you're going through a hard yeah. time, but you don't need to have like, like people throw their underwear on stage by request or something. It felt like a little bit like, Oh man, it reads a little different now, whatever, but it was cool. Like, um, and I think that actual album they did was basically just in a night. They just recorded it mostly live anyway. Um, and there's just like some cool songs on there, like Albuquerque and, um, mellow my mind. And, uh, even the song tonight's the night. And yeah, love it's just song. like this, like this really raw, uh, emotional kind of music that isn't fussed over too much and isn't, um, overly mannered. It just it's a, it's got a real sort of punk rock bar rock kind of vibe, and I, that's why I like about. I mean, Billy Bragg was later, and it's like a, a slightly different sound thing because like Johnny Marr actually played on like at least a couple of those records, or at least yeah, one yeah, of them. That's right. And uh, so it has this like weird kind of post punk thing or like put jangly guitar happening over his guitar. But when you see Billy mm-hmm. Bragg play, there's like some live concert I watched in the '80s on on YouTube where he was just like him and his guitar on stage just like singing his songs, but playing really heavy. It wasn't like, I'm a sensitive person, finger. Right. It was like, he was playing yeah. heavy, but just by himself. And I, and I, and I like that vibe a lot where it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't beholden to some notion of what like a singer songwriter should be. You can be right. rock and roll, but you don't need to mm-hmm. have a rock and roll band. And uh, so I was, I was getting into a lot of that, or I was just like rediscovering a lot of that music. Mm-hmm. I was, I mean, I'd been vaguely aware of Billy Bragg earlier because of, um, there was like that cool punk rock kid in my high school was really into him, but it was like one of those things where you're like, Oh yeah, Billy Bragg's cool. And then you go back and listen to it later in life. And you're like, Oh yeah, dude, like Billy Bragg. Really cool. Really it cool. It was really cool. Yeah. He was just like, he always had like the right vibe about stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know how to say it. Like I'm not comfortable in the same sense, like translating like a real vivid uh, political uh, language into my music. It just, mm-hmm. it feels like, it feels like, to me, like music says the things you can't say in real mm-hmm. life. And like, you can say those like like political statements feel very easy to communicate like in speech, but like translating them into song that doesn't feel like hackneyed or just like right. empty slogans. 
Yes. That's like, that takes a kind of artistry that like, that's just not what I'm, I don't, I don't have that ability, but he was able to tell stories that sort of um, illustrated his ideals and his ideology uh, without being too explicit at times. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's other songs where you're just like, the union is a good thing, um, which it is. But there's other times where he just like had this song about like two soldiers who are in love with each other. And it was like pretty cool. Like he was even at his concert, he wasn't like shying away from it. He's like, you know, I, I think it's important to write, write songs from different perspectives and imagine different kinds of love. And like, and just because this isn't the kind of love I experienced, I, I don't want to make it any less than the kind of love or the kind of relationship mm-hmm. I experienced. And like to get on stage in like Britain in like 1984 and say that to a bunch of like, dudes like holding pints of lager um it's like really brave and like really cool that he just always kept pushing himself as as an artist and a writer to go places that might not have been even his like natural comfort zones and but do it with like an artistic nuance and perspective that was really admirable so like yeah like listening to that kind of stuff around the house uh kind of got me into for whatever reason was just that kind of music felt more right in that time of my life and when I was writing music it kind of came out a lot different than what I was even the way I was singing was a lot different than pains and I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how to talk about that without like it sounding cheesy but like it just felt like my life had transformed in some way or like the person I was was a different person and the music I was making was different music and it wasn't it wasn't a self-conscious decision where it's like now that I am a parent I will write music <laughs> that like I don't know. It, it just like it just happened really um, by accident, and I I couldn't control it if I wanted to, but I felt like I needed to like go there with this sound and uh, make songs that you know sounded like the songs I made, and I um, I'm, I was pretty surprised at how things turned out. I was it was maybe the first record that I didn't feel scared about before it came out. You know, I didn't feel like oh, what if it's terrible? You know, like which is a natural thing to go through. I, I just felt like very much like, yeah, these are my songs and um, I'm going to put it out there and maybe people like it. Maybe people won't, but like, I like it. And that's kind of what matters. Mm-hmm. I think is really cool about it is like, I, and I, I, I don't want to embarrass myself here, but I, I pre-ordered it the second I heard it was coming out. I was like, yes, I'm all in. Give me more. Uh, and I've sat with it now, obviously since it came out in April, right? April. Yeah. And, and my favorite song on it has like evolved over time where like initially the first song, is, you know, mm-hmm. is just so good. Uh, and it's just like you find something new in it seemingly every time you listen to it. And that's that's something I always really love about like my favorite albums. And uh, I obviously like you're channeling something really awesome there. So I'm excited to see what comes next. Thanks, Mark. Well, if it, it, it'll uh You'll be, hopefully you'll like the next thing I do. I started recording it. Uh, I went, I was over in London for a few days and mm-hmm. recorded like 10 or 11 songs and um, uh, with the same guy and in, in the same way. So it mm-hmm. probably will sound in, in some ways really similar to what I, I did. And, and it's nice of you to say, like, I, I think about that too, like with albums when I was growing up, like, like my favorite song on that, like Wally Zowie changed a lot or my favorite song on the Bend's by Radiohead changed a lot or Tori Amos under, yeah. under the little earthquakes. I mean, sorry, little earthquakes. It, um, it would be like, sure. There's certain songs that always would get me, but like the more you listen to stuff, you'd like, 
you would discover new things. And, and, if, and if you feel that my music works that way for you, that's really nice. Thank you so much. That, that's uh, yeah, what keeps you coming back to the record, you know, yeah, discovering absolutely. those new things. Yeah. Like right now I'm really into Sylvia, the cup of youth. Like that song's just like really hitting right for mm-hmm. me at the moment. Oh man. Yeah. Thank, thank you. I, I, I like that one a lot too. Um, me too. On, honestly, it's like, I, I, I felt pretty good about the songs as I was making them and just surprised, you know, it's really funny is the guy that recorded them was the same person that recorded the last two pains albums and they couldn't be more yeah. different in terms yeah. of what they were about. Like, <laughs> You know, the Payne's albums are recorded to a metronome and like 87, like keyboard tracks doing arpeggios and like <laughs> overdub, like a bunch of guitar parts and like horns and like this, like really attempt for a kind of um, hyper perfectionism or whatever that the studios allowed. And this time he's just like, he was like, okay, so the drummer's going to play the drums, the bass is going to play the bass and you're going to play the guitar and sing at the same time. And we're going to push record and we're going to use that. <laughs> and um. And obviously it takes a few takes. Like we're not geniuses. Yeah. It's not like, mm-hmm. and then we just played the song one time and it was perfect. It was like, he was like, oh, <laughs> you messed up. Try it again. And like you do it a couple of times, but like that was how we recorded it. And it was the complete opposite of how we recorded pain songs, but it was with the same person. And he mm-hmm. was flexible enough in his view of like what the songs needed to just do the complete opposite. And it's kind of like, it's like one of those like coaching things, like, like Thibodeau. Um, I mean, I think he's like modified his like, rigor over time mm-hmm. but he's like there's some coaches that like we are running my system it doesn't matter yeah. what personnel we what personnel we have the system works the way we do things the way we practice works and then there's like a lot of coaches that are like i mean I, belichick gets a hard time but i think he's like really like all right well like yeah. yeah he'll be like we don't have like tom brady this week so we'll like run like a totally different offense or or like we'll run too tight it's like there's like just stuff where they're very they look at what they got look at what they want to do with it and find a way to do it that isn't so rigid. And Andy, the guy that recorded it seemed to recognize intuitively like that this new music, we weren't going to do it like it pains did it. Cause it wasn't going to like work. Like what, what made this music work would be uh, the spontaneity of it. Like that there are mistakes mm-hmm. in it, that it is like, has a, like a very human lived in kind of sound, you know, like it should just sound like three or four people bashing it out in their practice space. And that's kind of what it was. And yeah, um, and it, it was so relieving to me to not feel uh, pressure to be like better than I was. And I think with pains, mm-hmm. there's always that sense of like, you're in one of these bands where you're like, oh, this was good enough to play at Cake Shop in New York to like your 12 friends. But now you're like at a music festival on stage and you need to have like in your monitors, like, or just like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like it's, it, there was like a, a different expectation now about what live music um, maybe it's changing again, but like in the nineties, you like watch live videos of like bands and they're pretty bad and everyone's having a good time or it's not, they're bad, but they're just like, <laughs> they're not, they're not representing the record. Not perfect. Yeah. You're, not per- you're like watching pavement and it just sounds yeah. pretty like wild and loose and good, but it's <laughs> not like, Oh, this doesn't sound exactly like slanted and enchanted. It's, it's like, yeah. there's like people are pogoing and having a great time. And uh, maybe we had Bob on recently and from, from pavement and he was yeah, like self-admitted. He's like, He's like, we were real bad live for a while. <laughs> I mean, Pains was too. I mean, I always felt like we had lost fans when we played shows. Like it was like almost like <laughs> by, when people actually saw us, they were like, oh, I thought I was into this. <laughs> but like, we didn't know what we were doing. Like, you know, we're literally like a bunch of friends who like played a couple of shows in Cake Shop and the, to 12 people. Then all of a sudden we're like, and now you are playing the Pitchfork Music Festival. And we're like, we don't know like what key our songs are supposed to be in yet. Like to sing them. Like it's like, we're literally like 
not, the, I mean, Kurt was a good musician, but the rest of us, like Alex never played bass before. Like the rest of us were pretty amateur and it took us a while to like learn what it meant to be like what the expectation was. Like if you show up and play a show, like you're like, <laughs> Oh shit. Like you actually have to like uh, know what songs are coming next in your set list and stuff like that. You have to have a set list. Just, like standing around, be like, Yo, which one should we play next? Oh, I thought we were going to play that one next. Like after a while, it's like, you should know what song comes next. But yeah, no, I, I was watching. I mean, Pavement was the one I saw, and it's not like it was bad, man. I and I saw Pavement at towards the end, like in their um, at that last tour they did. Uh, that was the first time I saw them, and they were like really good live. Yeah, twenty ten. Yeah, they were awesome. not that not that one. I mean, the last one in the nineties, oh, oh, like, oh, like ninety nine two thousand. Yeah, yeah. Around then, and I was like, oh, this band is like really like good even though like steven was like doing something with like handcuffs and being like a, to the microphone and be like this is what being in a band is like and i was like that's a bit heavy that's like a bit heavy-handed for a metaphor you, for a, you, a typically you like get that now or like you're like no i disagree uh i didn't think we like be, reached the level of payment i, I think I, i'm sure like his experience felt more um stiltifying than like a uh, sort of indie pop band from new york that no one really cared about that much we, we got to do cool stuff but it was like we weren't pavement so like I allow that Steven probably had a different relationship to yeah. a uh, minor celebrity than I might've experienced. <laughs> um, I mean, it's not like, I'm sure he walks on the street and no one knows who he is too. It's like, it's like, uh, it's one of the things like being like Thurston Moore is a big deal in my world, but mm-hmm, in the yeah. real world, it's like, I'm pretty sure like that guy can like go to the grocery store and like right. buy a baguette or whatever. And yeah. and, some, yeah. and like, life goes on. Um but yeah, so I, so yeah, but Tamet was really good by the time I saw him. But then I went and saw YouTube videos and I was like, but no one was mad. Like there was like a different expectation yeah. where it was like, they were like very loose um, and people were having a great time and like huge music festivals in Europe in the nineties. And uh, I think there was something about YouTube, maybe documenting live music more and uh, being more of a, like there was this more expectation that bands had to sound like M83 had to sound like M83, like when they played yeah. live and it had to sound like the record. And, um, and even like that band, the drums, we played shows with like, they were better live than on record. Their records were like super yeah. low fi And they but when they played live, it was like super anthemic and like big sounding. And uh, I think we just had to like, kind of learn a little bit of that. And it was like tough the first couple of years. Cause it was like, um, it took about to our third record until we actually were, um, you know, kind of capable of playing our songs, like in a way that was, I, I thought like pretty representative of them in the way people wanted so them. What can we expect December 6th at empty bottle with Annie Hall? What well, version my, of, of the natural? It's just, are we getting it's, there? Just, it's just me. It's just me. Okay. Uh, but I bring, I bring two guitar amps. So it sounds rock. <laughs> so it's like not one. They're, they're small amps, to be honest with you. Um, I don't like carrying heavy amps, but yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't want to be like the guy that's like, and now I have an acoustic guitar and I'm going to send you, write you some songs about fatherhood. <laughs> I, um, I believe that there's like some value in rocking. Like there's still like something I know rock gets like a bad, like there's a bad version of rock where people are like rock is real and things that don't rock aren't real. Like that's not my vibe, <laughs> but I still think there's like something nice about like mm-hmm. um, rocking <laughs> and having like loud stuff and like, having something visceral in the music, even if it is just like one guy on stage doing it. Uh, I'm really psyched to tour with Annie Hart though, cause she's doing um, this ambient record. That's like really different than the stuff she's done yes, before. So good. So good. And I'm, I'm just like, in a way, like me doing solo is actually better in terms of the pairing. Like, mm-hmm. I was, like when she yes. asked me to do it, I'm like, are you sure this like makes sense with like a, a night of ambient music? Like, 
Um, like, like I, I want people's weed gummies to like hit at the right time for you. And like, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to freak them out by like having my, my, my nasal voice going on about like, um, Hell yeah, whatever. So, um, I don't, I don't want to like harsh anyone's mellow. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's her new record is great. Like I saw her stage plot and it involves a xylophone and I was like, Oh no, 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 that doesn't have a vibraphone. Uh, which I think is like a slightly different instrument. I, I can't explain what it is, but it's like one of those things that like, if you're like audition, like the talent competition for Miss America or like in a orchestra, like a vibraphone is something you might have on stage, but it's very rare in an indie rock mm-hmm. show to have a vibraphone. Yeah. So I'm really excited about how she's reimagining her own music, how she's, um, you know, transitioning into like different modes of expressing herself. And I'm like super flattered. She's, uh, invited me along to do these shows with her. What, so, so what should people expect? I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play my songs that you've heard on Tethers. Um, and then my my uncle is coming down from Milwaukee, so I'm oh, gonna get to awesome. see him. Um, yeah. So th- this is this is the nature of my uh, my Packer and Packer fandom. My family's all from Milwaukee. Yeah. So it's like okay. it's, it's it's not like um, a front runner thing. It's more of a like this is my cultural heritage that I have to mm-hmm. uphold. Um, I'm also pretty fair weather. Like if like the Packers were terrible, I, I wouldn't be talking about them right now, but they, they won last night again. <laughs> yeah, and they really they shouldn't have. They, like literally they like get so lucky. It was like, I was like so sure they were going to lose. And then like AJ Green just doesn't turn around. And like, like, you know, like Kyler Murray, I don't think it was his fault. Like the, the receiver just never even looked for the ball. And he, it's like the, the Packers guy, like caught it like in the end zone and the game was over. And I was, I was like, had this like dread dreading feeling they were marching down the field on the pack. And I was just like, Oh mm. my gosh, this, this game is going to be rough, but, um, but they, they won again. And it's, it's also been like tough because, you know, Aaron Rodgers clearly doesn't want to uh, be there anymore. And it's kind of a hard thing to, um, I mean, I like, as like a human being, I'm like, yeah, dude, you should go where you're happy and like have a nice life and live where mm-hmm. you want to live and play for who you want to live. But as a sports fan, you're still kind of like, but I like it like each year when I feel like my team has a chance because like you're, you're good. And yeah. I like, I like Must cheering be for nice. Must be nice. <laughs> I know. Well, I know it's, it's also it's like between far. It is. It is like the thing where you're like um, the only thing harder than having like two uh, like eras of a starting quarterback that are like the Green Bay has experienced uh, would be to have like two indie rock bands where it's like you go from the pains. And then if the natural suddenly became like also like really well known, which is like even harder to do than like getting two good quarterbacks in a row. Like it's like uh-huh. I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty doomed to be like the um, um, who is who is the good one? Uh, uh a sort of like Kramer what was, what was that guy like Jeff was it Kramer? Eric Kramer? Mike Richards oh no, Eric, I'm talking Kramer. Eric Kramer like I'm thinking Bears quarterback obviously McMahon yeah. was McMahon was cool like McMahon had a vibe and it was like you can't hate on McMahon but then it was like oh there was Kramer there was Grossman there was like mm-hmm. um Cordell I think Cordell Stewart was like he was the, yes there yeah, he for, was a, a, for a bit yeah. there was like obviously not not Andy did they have Andy Dalton? Like yeah, he's on them right now. But yep. Like Neil Glennon, they had one year or just like, but these are even more recent, but it's just been like, oh my God. And that, oh, that guy that was like, uh, uh, the guy that got from Denver that was there forever. Like uh, Jay Cutler. Cutler, Cutler yeah. which was like, it was like so tantalizing because it was like, he was so close <laughs> to being good. It was like one of these things where you're like, you're almost the answer. And you, it's like one of those things where you're like, you have someone that's almost good and you can't like move on. But at the same time, you know, he, it's like, his vibe well, wasn't quite correct. And he seemed like he also had some, like, I don't know. He didn't, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, I wouldn't want to like question Brett Favre's personal politics too much. <laughs> like, like, it's like <laughs> the dude from killing Mississippi. I'm not like going to be like, yeah. Hey, 
Brett Favre, what are your viewpoints on like these issues of our day? It's like, I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather keep that probably uh, under, under wraps. I'll let him, let him uh, do his thing. But uh, yeah, no, the, it's, it's been such a, it's a tough, tough go. Thanks for, for the bears. And like, uh, Mark, we're, we're talking about some Chicago things, but let's not talk about the bears. Let's talk about some funner okay. things. Yeah, you're right. What us? So you've played a lot of different venues in Chicago over the years. Uh, what's your favorite one you've played? I mean, well, Shuba's is really cool. They give you macaroni mm-hmm. and cheese, like their, their food and hospitality. <laughs> I mean, I think like Chicago is like the secret. I'm surprised more people don't know that Chicago's so cool. Like I, it's like everyone has moved out to Los Angeles now, but Chicago is awesome. Like it's like all the, the venues agree. are like really hospitable. It's mm-hmm. like a different, it's a different vibe and it's hard to explain, but like um, empty bottle is super great. Like I, mm-hmm. I've been there before and it's a good vibe. Um, I didn't, there was like uh, I want not union transfer, but what it was like, there was Lincoln, Lincoln hall. Lincoln hall. Lincoln hall. Yeah, that was really, yep. where you guys really played nice. your and last like, shows as pains. Yeah. And it's like all the venues have like a really hospitable Mm-hmm. Uh, atmosphere for touring bands but i think that's generally how chicago is like it's a very um it's like a fun city like people are good like mm-hmm. it's like good people and that's like mm-hmm. sounds stupid like you're like i'm judging an entire city based on like the 12 <laughs> people i've met but like the vibes of chicago are great i, I just think it's like people don't move there because they're scared of the weather but like other than that it's like a huge city like awesome food like the sandwiches are really thick you know it's like um it's just great, great music town. Like people like know their stuff. Um, good bands have come out of there. Like all, you know, all the, the postman at the Princeton post office loves like uh, sea and cake and like tortoise. He's always, mm-hmm. I'm like mm-hmm. in the post office mailing records. And I'm always like, who's playing this cool music? Like all the time. It's always like, you know, like <laughs> Chicago, like post rock kind of stuff. Yeah. And, I, and I, I just see this guy who looks like, you know, like your regular like guy that looks like, you know, middle-aged Italian dad or whatever, like gold chain. I was like, and I keep on looking in the back room thinking that there's someone else back there. And I'm like, who's, uh, and I asked him one day, I was like, who's playing this? He's like, I am. And I was like, and then I got to talking to him and he was in a Swerve Driver cover band no when he was way. younger. And he got to meet Swerve Driver when they came through town. And like Whoa. Swerve Driver was like, just their mind was blown that there was a Swerve Driver uh-huh. cover band somewhere in New Jersey. And this dude like always talks to me about like really cool uh 90s but yeah like that 90s like um mm-hmm. chicago post-rock scene was like really good and yeah I th- i'm sure it'll come back but like when i was coming up like like a band like seeing cake was like if you liked indie music like that was the shit mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. was like yeah. um and tortoise Wee, like, great album yeah and it's like tortoise was like on everyone's like it was like stereo lab dots and loops and like tortoise like tnt or whatever were mm-hmm. like no matter what kind of music you were into, if it was like hip hop, whatever, you still had those records. And it was like mm-hmm. a couple of things that were just so um, sort of iconic or like their own yeah. thing that mm-hmm. they related to people of different scenes, but in different ways. Like, and I, 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 I'm, and I know like, obviously, like obviously the pumpkins were kind of like the more big time version of like, of that world mm-hmm. in the nineties, but uh, well, not that world, but like this, what represented the city, but um, yeah, Chicago is always like really cool and really um, it, it just seems like it's like it, people are missing the point when they're like, oh, is it New York? Or now I'm not going to move to L.A. or then I'm going to move to New York. And it's like, no, dude, Chicago is like is, is really good. And it seems like a wonderful place to live and make music. And um, 
and you know aside from like certain aspects of sports fandom like uh <laughs> yeah, those like, cup yes. fans they're the worst yeah oh my yes. god but it's no it's like the, the baseball's actually come around a bit it's 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 more of the but it's like a football town like it's like every mm-hmm. not like football so uh any team that any city that has a football team that that is like the story like even though the bucks like won the title like my grandparents still just want to talk about the packers you know it's like there's something that resonates about football with people even more than um more than anything else so it's like if mm-hmm. your team is like in a sort of a bit of a rut um it it, it can like dampen the mood I, I understand that yeah uh so i feel like i already know the answer to this question but i'm still gonna ask it uh deep about pizza deep dish or thin crust oh i i, I thin yeah it's like yeah i knew the, it the, the yeah. spot by me is this place conti's it's like this old italian place that's been here since like I don't know. It looks like they've never updated the inside of it mm-hmm. for like 50 years. Yes. And it's not even like, I'll be honest. It's like, I love Conti's. It's, it's literally down my block here in, in Princeton. It's great, but it's like the vibe. It's more about the vibe of the pizza. It's like, yeah. it's just something about like going to a good pizza spot. It's not even like the pizza itself, but it's like what surrounds the pizza. And like Conti is like, if you order a glass of wine, they like fill it up to the top. You know, it's Ooh. like, it's like that kind of thing where yeah, it's yeah. like, it's like and if you if you bring kids in there and they like make a mess and like they spill some stuff on the floor they're like they don't mind at all they're like really understanding um they have like you know the the parmesan cheese shakers that have yeah, like yeah. something that might be parmesan cheese in them and <laughs> um i don't know it's like i, I just feel like pizza is more about like where you're eating if you're like a dine-in pizza place it's not about thick or thin it's about like the atmosphere and it's like again it's like the sports uniforms like pizzeria should never update Ever. Like just like <laughs> whatever weird like decorations you have from St. Patrick's Day 1957, just keep them up on the wall. Yeah. Like forever. And eventually it'll be like the vibe. Um, so well, next okay. time you're in Chicago, you gotta go to Vito and Nick's. It's on the far south side. So find somebody to take you there. But that place has not been updated since probably like 1960. <laughs> and that's the vibe. No, and also um, I was there used to be a spot in Chicago that I love, like hot dogs, which was like this hot dog mm-hmm. place that we used yep. to go to. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I know it's closed down, but um, yeah, like, but, like just like the general like sandwiches, like like the the amount of like meat that's in a sandwich. Like I don't know, you guys might be vegetarian, I don't know, but like it just yep. seems like a very um, a generosity of spirit mm-hmm. that like we're if you're gonna order a sandwich, <laughs> it, we're gonna make sure that you're not gonna feel like you got shortchanged. It's like you're getting sure. more sandwich than you really want here. Exactly. And, uh, I, I think that 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 um is a good reflection of of the city. Um. I would agree with you. Yeah. Uh, so, so what, uh, when you think of Chicago, you kind of touched on this and the Chicago music scene, like, what do you think about? It's really interesting. Okay. I think what's interesting is like the, um, the post-rock stuff is like super cerebral jazzy and like, not like esoteric, but like Chicago has a reputation as being like a, a more of like a blue collar meat and potatoes kind of city. And obviously it's like, there's music that comes out of it. that's like that as well. But like, it seems like a very um, an art form that seems at odds with like the broader representation of the city. Right. Like, it's like, you think of like the bears and Ditka, but then it's like, it's like tortoise. <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah. a totally different, mm-hmm. but there was like, I think those bands were able to be successful because they weren't, they weren't pretentious. They were doing interesting music to them, but it was like, or like Joan of, well, actually Joan of Arc is like the opposite end of that scale, but like, <laughs> But like, it's almost too. like, de- it's almost delightful. Like, it's almost like, yeah. it's almost like the I'm 14 and this is deep kind of like subreddit where it's like, it's so over the top. I am the artist in a scene that is just like, has no idea of what, like, 
that means um like uh, well, yeah obviously cap jazz and like that stuff but like the the and then mike can sell it's it's very it's very interesting like i know this is like a very um this is not correct but i almost felt like american football became big because people hated tim Kinsella so much and it was like a way of like <laughs> the long troll of i i've I have, I have no vi- bad vibes about uh, Tim Kintel. I, I like Joan of Arc. I think like, they they were cool and they were doing something completely different. When my friends were listening to like, like pop punk, like we were all just like, what's this band Joan of Arc? But it was like, it was like putting out something very, very out different, yeah. very brave and very like purposely, like you're not going to like this. And like, and I'm surprised by how that hasn't become, I would say like almost every band of that era has become like famous or like r- well-respected Um in spite of whatever popularity they might've had at the time, except Joan of Arc, where it's like, people are still like, fuck that guy. And I'm like, no, like Joan <laughs> of Arc is, was cool. They were actually like doing something brave and they weren't um, widely like commercial or anything like that, but they were doing something very brave, very challenging, mm-hmm. very like against the grain of like the punk rock scene they were in, but like with the same punk rock spirit. Um, I think American football is an awesome band too, but I, I always felt like there was something, maybe it's like, personal or something that like people would just never give Joan of Arc mm-hmm. the time of day or like a fair shake because it was almost like they were so antagonistic that they would allow for no like entry point. Like it wasn't like yeah. they do anything that was palatable. They'd like have every album, they'd be like one song where you're like, Oh my God, like, like post coitus rock or whatever, or like um, mm-hmm. uh, there was like a couple other songs where they were just like amazing, like songs. like more traditional kinds of arrangements yeah yeah you're just like holy shit this is like magical and then like the other 12 would just be like like super um like hyper experimental kinds of uh music that just didn't allow an access point Mm -hmm. um but i i think joan of arc was really cool and i i think american football is cool but i think there was just like so much scene animosity towards like tim can for some reason like that it was almost like by celebrating American football. It was like a way of like being like we've chosen Mike over Tim. Yeah, yeah. Like, like and Mike's yeah. like totally like just like I'm a nice dude that like has interesting chords and yeah. uh, tunings and like cool songs. I love that record too. But it was almost like that became like just so good. Th- th- it's beautiful record, but it was like it just kind of felt like Tim was like um, almost like maybe it was like he was like trying too hard to be the great artist that like no one would give him like the satisfaction of considering him as such. Like he was like. I am the great artiste. And everyone's like, dude, enough, dude, enough. Like, yeah. go play the invisible guitar. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but I, I, I think that was like a very interesting time for music, um, both in like that, the hardcore world, like as it evolved into different um, offshoots. And then also with the sort of more like, uh, like jazzy post-rock kind of stuff and, and Chicago yeah. music. But I mean, I, I, I liked Captain Jazz, but I liked, um, I, I'm one of those guys. I was like, I definitely like, appreciate why Captain Jazz was cool, but mm-hmm. like Promise Ring was like the band when I was in high school that was like, sure. that's, yeah. mm-hmm. that's the jam. Cause they were almost like a pop band. Like they were like mm-hmm. straight up, like melodic, emotional songs. And I, I related to that a lot. Braid. I mean, that's, I know, I know that was more champagne and like down south. But like the, if we're talking about Illinois more broadly, I'd say, Sarge is the other band that I thought was like really underrated because they were kind of in that scene, but they were doing more of like a power pop kind of, um, are you familiar with Sarge, Elizabeth Albers? No. Mm-mm. Okay. So they were like, do you know Braid? Yeah. The oh, yeah Braid, the sure. So, so they were kind of like, they would, 
they were part of that scene. Um, but uh, uh, Sarge was like super like melodic and um, uh, kind of a, a female fronted like band that would be playing in these sort of like punk and hardcore shows. And it, mm-hmm. it didn't make sense in terms of the music because they weren't super chugga chugga, but I liked them more because they weren't chugga chugga. Um, so I liked them a lot, but that was, that was based out of uh, Champagne. And, and obviously Braid was like really cool. I loved Braid. Yeah. Yeah. They're well. great um, and, and obviously now people are like, yeah, they were like iconic and like people are like super um, remember them well. And then uh, and, and I know like yeah, Cap and Jazz was sort of like the birth of like a, a lot of that scene and super good. But yeah, like Joan of Arc was great. And uh, American football uh, was great. And um, yeah, I just think it's like, it was a cool, uh, a, with the exception of Joan of Arc, a very, um <laughs> a pretend a pretentious list version of uh sort of like artful punk explorations yeah. like mm-hmm. what comes after punk mm-hmm. so so yeah and i think that's probably it was informed by like being from chicago and being in the midwest and like kind of like you can only get so far as like uh like a pretentious dickhead like you know it's like people are gonna call you out a little bit like <laughs> yeah, exactly it's not yeah. like it's not like you're going to like school on the upper east side like for 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 theater and like everyone's yeah, like yeah, yeah. we all listen to joy division obviously <laughs> or like we're like like you know it's like i think you kind of have to like straddle both worlds a little right. bit when you're like making um punk music in an area that's like not as like like receptive to like extremes of like um self-regard or whatever uh so i'm gonna ask you one last question here favorite cheap drink so it We've been asking people what their favorite cheap beer is, but not everyone drinks beer. So you have a favorite cheap drink. I don't know. I think like hams is underrated. Like hams. Oh, yeah. Hams in the (laughs) middle. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. So like I know PBR was PBR was like the thing and it took on a cultural significance outside of itself. But like for the same price, you could get hams. I don't know if it actually tasted better than PBR. It does. (laughs) But the cans were prettier. So I I, I like cans are prettier. I'll give you that. Mm -hmm. So I was like I was kind of like hams. Um. And what's what's that what's that liqueur called? Is it like Lamort or something like? That? It's like the oh, uh, Malort, yeah. Malort, Malort. <laughs> yes. I, I don't I don't think I've ever actually enjoyed drinking that, but I always drink it when I'm a in few Chicago. Of so course. Like, to sort of like prove the point, it's sort of like no, I'm cool. <laughs> like I'll drink Malort, and it's like on some level I know it doesn't. It's not like a delicious thing, but it's like sometimes you just have to drink Malort. Yeah. We were in we were in Germany once, and like uh, some guys were like partying with my bandmates. I wasn't exactly at this party but they're like yeah the guys were like yeah we have some polish speed and it's like you don't want to do polish speed but sometimes you have to do polish speed <laughs> was, was was how they presented it to my bandmates yeah. and, um so it was like i was kind of glad i wasn't present uh for that because i didn't really want to i didn't really want to have to <laughs> um, uh, but i was like but sometimes like you know no one wants to but like, uh, i guess you have to kind of thing so how I it's think gonna go M- malort might be in that category of things mm-hmm. that like you have to sort of like, you know, prove to prove your metal. Yes. Well, if you're not Chicago, Chicago, hand- Ford. Chicago handshake. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's what they call Malort and a beer, a cheap beer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good. I mean, it gets the job done. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. the people that are like, I don't know, like, does alcohol actually taste good? Like, do, would people drink it if it didn't have like <laughs> alcohol in it? I know right. it sounds like a, like probably a bad, a bad, bad point of view, but I'm like the purpose of drinking alcohol is for alcohol to be in the drink if you mm-hmm, there's yeah. like i'd rather drink a coca-cola if i'm not drinking like i, I it tastes a lot better than i mean if like mm-hmm. coca-cola is, is delicious like it's it's like when you drink <laughs> coca-cola as an adult it feels so naughty you're just like <laughs> i can order a coca-cola 
and drink it. <laughs> and you're like, and it tastes delicious. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Like, but again, if you want to have alcohol, I'd say like hams, hams and malort would be there a, we go. A good. Okay. Go. Well, um, I'm going to find you uh, at your show on December 6th. That sounds bad. If I see you at your show on December 6th, <laughs> you will. I would love to, you know, have some malort with you. Yeah. That would be awesome. I, I, ho- hopefully they have that. hams at the empty bottle. Yeah. I know they have high life for sure. Oh, high life. Actually, high life in a bottle is good. Like uh-huh. the, they have yeah. it in bottle form there. There you go. Yeah. No, that, that that's a good one. Like the champagne. Yeah. Beer. No, I mean, it's like I, cheap. I like cheap beer. Like I, I, I don't go in for like the super like fancy stuff too much. It's not like a way of saying like I'm like a man of the people. I'm more yeah. just saying like <laughs> I just think like it's nice to drink a beer that tastes like a beer and then it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. you can have yeah. another beer and you're not like right. you know having to discuss what the beer tastes like too much. Well, aside from your football opinions, it's been an absolute pleasure yes. talking to you today, Kip. Uh yeah. I'm really looking forward to the show on on December 6th that empty bottle. Tickets are on sale now. Uh so you should definitely be there and um, I just want to say again, thank you so much for all the music you've made over the years. It's, it's really meant a lot to me. And I, I, it's been a true pleasure to talk with you today. Well, thank, yes. thanks, Mark and Tom. And, and I'm yep. going to get my cup up, come up and soon from those football <laughs> opinions. Like the second Rogers leaves, <laughs> we'll be in the wilderness of like weird, like Bernie Kaiser or whatever, like backup quarterbacks for the next 15 years. There you so, go. So I'm we can just, only I'm, hope. I'm, I'm enjoying it while it lasts, but I know that my my it's my time is up soon. Uh, All right. At least for football <laughs> fandom. All right. <laughs> anyway, thank you, you guys so much. Yeah. And thank you for yeah. indulging Thanks. all my weird thoughts on sports uniforms awesome. too. Yeah. <laughs> See you in care, December. <laughs> See you in December. Yeah, take care. Yeah. Bye bye. Thanks so much for listening today. We are no wristbands. We drink for free. Music, of course, has been provided by Merlin Wall. Please check them out on Spotify or on Bandcamp. Please also subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at No Wristbands and check out our website at noriskbands.com.